a very warm welcome to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast with your host, Paul Lowe. Paul offers wisdom, insights and tips for living a healthy, meaningful, purposeful life. On the back of overcoming extreme adversity, Paul has a proven track record of achieving life-enhancing results. He offers empowering advice and guidance to help people develop a mindset for success so that they can live with more happiness and prosperity. Through his Mastering the Game of Life podcast and books, Paul also helps people to get their own inspirational messages and powerful stories out into the world, as well as being involved in supporting many charitable organisations in their development, fundraising and projects. Welcome listeners to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. Today I'm joined by a gentleman who's been a, uh, a previous uh, guest with us, Martin Leifeld. Martin, very, very warm welcome to you. Thanks so much, Paul. It's a pleasure to be with you again. All the way from St. Louis in the United States of America. Now, don't hold that against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, on, our, on our previous episode, uh, Martin, we intended, and I say intended because it didn't quite pan out that way, and that's the beauty of a podcast, isn't it, to, to speak about how to fundraise over $500 million, which is something that you've done. Um, but what we, if you re- remember, Martin, what we ended up talking about was actually life. In the, in the grand scheme of things, which for me, I would venture, you can't put a price on that. That's worth so much more than $500 million. And that is a phenomenal achievement in anybody's language, certainly from a fundraising perspective. So when I think about that, which is a very interesting comment, Paul, um, it, it's not about the 500, okay? What that represents is... Um, something far more profound for me and that is the growth and my growth and development as a person and my growth and development as a leader because i believe every one of us is a leader and work becomes a primary place in which through which through which we can express who we are express our talents and express what matters to us Mm -hmm. so when i think about the 500 million dollars it's a great number uh, of course, I, you know, there's others that have raised 10 times that over here in the U.S. and probably comparable uh, in the U.K. and Spain and so on. And uh, so it's not about the number. It's about those who are helped through that number, that which is helped through that number. But, you know, more fundamentally, it's that I'm a participant in that. I'm a participant in terms of solicitation. I'm a participant in terms of providing leadership and guidance, encouragement and counsel discipline sometimes too i'm a participant in terms of the the pressure that comes with such responsibilities and the grind of it all but in all of that over all those years it was 24 years of fundraising to achieve 500 million dollars what really matters most and what's going to outlast the money in most respects is what i've become who i've become so work becomes a platform for us to discover to reveal to give, to have impact with our lives. Hmm. And I suppose that brings in the old qualitative versus quantitative debate, Martin, doesn't it? Because isn't it true that in life, and particularly within the corporate word, figures are king? And to see that very, very, very impressive amount on paper will, will positively rattle a lot of people's cages. 
not actually then actually flipping over to the qualitative side of, yeah, but what does it actually mean? What has it done? It's money on paper. Very, very impressive, as I say. But what does it really mean in terms of changing people's lives? And I'm not so sure, Martin, in modern day society, based on my own experience, that there's enough focus put on that qualitative focus. It's all around top line figures. Well, I think that's really true. And I think it's a, a tension. Uh, it's something we have to live with, this tension that there's an expectation to raise money. And not only that, there's an insatiable appetite for the raising of money. In other words, if you have any success in fundraising, what those around you and those who are above you will immediately ask is, we need more. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, and in one respect, this is a really good thing. In other words, an organization that's dynamic, that's growing, that's having impact, it wants to grow its mission. It wants to deepen, drive its mission so that the world becomes a better place for the greater good. This is a wonderful thing. But for us as fundraisers, that produces this pressure on us that we can never satisfy. And then because of the way we're organized as human beings, at least, you know, uh, in the first world, you know, we're all about annual goals. Well, you know, in my case, I spent 25 years raising money on a July 1 to June 30 schedule. And, you know, by June 30, you know, up until midnight, we're hoping we, we reached and surpassed our goal. And July 1st is like, well, what have you done for us this year? Well, that's not easy for us as people. But having said that, when we put what matters most about our mission first, and when we put what matters most, which are the donors that help this mission thrive, grow, we find some context. So we have to live with this tension, this responsibility, this pressure to raise funds and, you know, uh, the, you know, all, all, all the ways that's accounted for and we're, we're asked to deliver you know, with our deliverables. But it's about people. It's about it's about the mission. And that's where we have to derive our life, our energy from. It's not easy. It's a challenge, I think, for those of us who have been in this. It's easy to get burnt out, to want to walk away from these kinds of positions. So we have to go back to well, every day, every morning. And maybe another time we'll talk about morning rituals, Paul. Mm -hmm. But every morning, every day, go back to what you're about, what you're trying to accomplish with your talent, what you're trying to accomplish that very day and on behalf of what and whom are you about so that you go back to the core of, you know, uh, when I, when you go into the flack, the craziness, the unpredictability of that day, you're clear on this is who I am and what I'm going, I hope to accomplish with my life this day. This is the organization for which I'm honored, privileged, and excited to serve because of its impact in the greater world. And yeah, anyway, I've got to wrestle with this burden of uh, dollars and cents while I'm at it. Yeah. But if we put ourselves in that kind of right place, get in that right lane, we're better able to take on the pressure, the responsibility, the burden, the grind that comes with work. You know what? Everybody on this planet who works 
uh, it's a grind and they have challenges and, you know, intractable problems and issues of one kind or another. I mean, so, you know, we're, we're part of the human working race in that sense. But um, what we get to do, I think, in nonprofits, nonprofit leadership and nonprofit fundraising is we have the most noble of goals. We have the most noble of missions. We're altruistic. We're not profit centered. Now, we all know we have to raise money. We have to have enough money. No, no mission, no margin is one of the things I've heard so many people say over the years. I think it's true. But um, uh, we're altruistic. We're focused on the greater good. Now, you know, those who are in corporate, uh, in, in co modern day corporations, they certainly are in many respects as well. But I think on the nonprofit side, we have, eh, you know, maybe a little advantage there because fundamentally, you know, we don't have to raise as much money as possible. That's not our focus. Our focus is on is, is expanding our mission uh, broader and more deeply in order to accomplish good on behalf of others. So our invitation to others to participate with us isn't to satisfy them with a product or a service. It's to invite them in effect into an adventure of changing the world and making it better. So when you think about, um, you think about the experience of a donor, and this is why we have to be donor centric in our fundraising, is what we're really about is helping people become greater. This is a very powerful concept, I think, Paul. When you think about that we get to facilitate gifts of great significance that people are making, and in so doing, what they're doing is they're demonstrating the greatness of themselves. They're taking their eyes off of themselves, their own needs, wants, their ego, egotism, and so on, and they're saying, I want to take all of that and somehow share it in a way that helps the world. That is very, very powerful. And we get to participate in that. We get to facilitate that. We get to be alongside those donors as they go about trying to express their passions and their purposes with philanthropic support. That's amazing, mm -hmm. I think. Would you say from your own perspective, Martin, I'm going to use, a, I suppose, an old term now, vocation. <clears throat> do, you, do you feel that people, either individually or collectively, can, can operate, or to use an old cricket term, combat at that level unless it's a vocation? Well, I, I think that's very true. Um, I'm a believer that the work of fundraising is a vocation. Um, it, you know, there's a certain calling to it. Usually, you know, when you're a junior in high school, you're not thinking about, well, when I grow up, I want to be a fundraiser. It's the last thing you're thinking about. And we tend to bump into it or it bumps into us and invites us in a way to express ourselves and use our talents in, in ways we never would have fathomed prior to that. Hmm. Um, I lost my train of thought, Paul. Back at you. <laughs> yeah, just no around the vocation theme around. Yes, 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 yes. So, uh, you know, there was one time I was talking to a very wise woman and I was kind of describing, you know, the challenges, the grind of fundraising and, and, you know, its benefits. And she said to me, well, Martin, she said, you know, you're in a helping profession. And that just caught my attention, Paul, because I thought, well, 
okay, doctors are uh, about a helping profession. Certainly these days we're mindful that first responders are involved in a, a profoundly help, helping profession. Educators are involved in a helping profession. But so are we as fundraisers. Mm-hmm. See, I believe that fundraising is the most honorable of work. It's the most honorable of work because of what we get to do standing, as I said, on behalf of organizations and before prospective donors and in, and partner, create a partnership and engagement uh, that uh, is beneficial in so many different ways. At what age, Martin, was you aware of, I want to use the phrase, of your calling? Because it's the same thing as the vocation, isn't it? You know, was it that kind of eureka moment? You know, how did that shape? When I was when I was young, when I was, uh, I think I was eighteen years old. So I'm sixty five now. Like that's way too long ago to remember. <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was at a meeting. It was a religious kind of meeting, and I was sitting in, and you know I was kind of rediscovering faith or reconsidering faith as a young adult. And I was sitting in the back, literally, literally the last row in this meeting. And this guy was up talking and he, he was, uh, he had come back from Mexico. He had been on, I don't know, what do you call it? A, um, uh, like a missionary trip or something like that. Hmm. And he's telling the story. And then he, uh, refers to this line, um, in the Bible, to whom much has been given, much will be expected. And I tell you what, it hit my chest like a sl- like a hammer. I mean, it took the wind out of me. I'm sitting in the back of this room, and suddenly, all I mean, I was just totally grabbed by this. You see, Paul, I had made a mess of my life up until that point. Um, I began using drugs. I had kind of lost interest in my my passions. Sports was was a big deal for me, but I also love learning, and uh, my my mind was uh, weakening. You might say, as was my body, as I as I abused myself. Mm. And as I wrestled with that, um, as I said, I began to try and find a way. I wanted to change. I wanted to do better. I wanted to be better, and. Um, and so, uh, I, I, as I said, I was at this meeting and this, this experience happened and, and I, I kind of cried out to the God as I understood God, this is interior to myself uh, mm-hmm. from within me, you know, uh, what could you expect from me? I'm a mess. I am a disaster. Mm-hmm. I have screwed up this life, you know? And, and, and I thought, you know, I don't have anything to give. But I, at the same time, I, real, I, I went on to kind of say, well, you know, whatever, whatever it is about me that could in any way make a difference, I'm all about it. And so that was one of those turning points in my life. And uh, I would say that in, in so many respects set the course. For decades, you know, I would refer back to that line, to whom much has been given, much to be expected. And it's been a, uh, you know, sometimes a whip, uh, sometimes an incentive, 
and inspiration. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's been, it's, but it's been a part of how I've kind of framed, um, you know, many years of uh, life and service. Mm. So if we went back to the title, Martin, how to fundraise, even how to fundraise, rise, raise, rose, <laughs> over $500 million, that calling, that vocation, um, and the first two words there, how to, I can only imagine, Martin, it's not an exact science, but more of a passion from the heart, a dry, we're back to that you know that that vocation that raison d'etre again aren't we but i suppose for the benefit of the listeners because whenever we hear that term how to mm -hmm. we the mind conjures up this kind of silver bullet this magic formula oh this guy martin he's done he's done this phenomenal so you know is it sort of um a squared plus b squared equals c squared you know there's almost some scientific formula that mm. the mind expects isn't there Right. So, so, yeah, so there, you know, I, it, <clears throat> you know, you hear this term that it's both um, a science and an art. Hmm. And, I, you know, I, I think like any, you know, fundraising, uh, there's a discipline to it. Uh, how you organize fundraising, how you direct activities, even the setting of goals, you know, uh, uh, understanding your constituency, your donor, your your donor family, if you will, for your organization, and um, understanding the let's say the value and the perception of your mission in the marketplace, because there's many many nonprofits for that donors can choose to engage in, and so uh, and you know as you alluded to earlier, the tracking of of one's success or lack thereof the meeting of expectations, exceeding them or falling short, all of that gets into the discipline or the, the, you know, more the science side of it. And, um, that, you know, that's, that's important. Uh, you know, we organ, we, we create organizational structure in order to accomplish good. And so that's a part of it. Uh, the other part though, is, you know, more to the intuitive side or, you know, the art side, the, the art of being human the art of human engagement, um, the, the, the having the gift of the application of emotional intelligence as we go about engaging in this work of fundraising. One of the secrets and it, that I think has been very, very powerful for me, and I've shared it um, in many opportunities with people who have worked with me, is if you want to build a relationship that's re that a reciprocal relationship, and do it sooner, quicker, quicker than otherwise. Engage with somebody and listen 80% of the time. The old 80-20 rule. Mm -hmm. Ask open-ended questions, sincerely, because you have to love people to be in this work. You have to be curious about people. Uh, and, and ask open-ended questions. And, uh, and then listen, pay attention you know record it so to speak you can't you can't take notes in front of somebody as they're talking about their family but when you get in the car afterwards start writing your notes and 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 let them tell you about their life's journey and I tell you what, for those of us who are in fundraising, of course, that's very, very beneficial because we come to appreciate, we can extrapolate 
if they don't clearly state it, what their values are really all about, what matters most to them. And that helps us to reflect and think about, hmm, well, given what I'm coming to know about this person, perhaps one thing or one dimension or another of our organization might appeal to them. And that's something we can be talking about. But in this day, and of course, we are, we're at a full stop with uh, COVID-19, but in this day we've been in of constant distraction, people talking at each other without listening, if one can listen carefully, thoughtfully, respectfully, that's very, very powerful. And what I found is that people want to reciprocate by listening to me carefully and thoughtfully, too. And, you know, they may or may not want to do what I'd ask them to do, hope they would do uh, in terms of support and so on. But they respect me. And you know why they respect me? Not because I'm brilliant, but because I demonstrated how much I respected them. And that kind of thing is, has become such a rare commodity, I think, in our world, certainly here in the U.S. of A. You know, fundraisers, like you said, being all about the numbers. And like I said, there is science and discipline to it. But let's not lose sight. We're not after dollars. What we're after is relationships. Yeah. What we want to create is help to create and facilitate, if possible, a lifelong relationship between on behalf of our organization and with that donor. Mm. And you know, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, uh, the largest gifts that donors typically make come to, towards the end of their lives or in their estates. And for many of us, we're not going to be around for when that happens. Those donors may have outlived us. They may have outlived us in the sense that we've moved on to another organization, or like in my case, I retired a year and a half ago from being a vice chancellor at a university here in the United States, here in St. Louis. So uh, we have to have a certain respect on behalf of our organizations to treat these people carefully, thoughtfully, and as people first. I think, Paul, if we do that, we'll always get a fair hearing. Now, you know, back to this idea of to whom much has been given, much is to be expected. You know, I guess I've come to perceive and understand, and I'm not alone, uh, the work of fundraising in this way, because uh, it's the way I can give back the most, right? I can give back, I can give the gift of myself, my attention, my respect to donors or prospective donors. And that's giving, that's giving what I can. And what I've seen is this incredible response. I've had the privilege of working with, um, you know, uh, you know, C-suite executives here in the United States. Um, one guy, he's now retired, but he was chairman, CEO, and president of a, uh, a, a Fortune 50 global company at one point in time. And uh, you know what? I didn't treat him any different than I treated you know, a, gra a regular graduate of the university. Now, capacity, let's say the hope in terms of what they could do with the resources compared from one to the other perhaps might be extremely different. But why would I treat one versus dif differently than the other? Now, granted, you know, the billionaire, or the, the person worth hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, in some respects, we have to put our time, per, interpersonal time and attention on them because time is the mo is perhaps the thing that for which we have the greatest accountability. 
you know, time, as we know, we all have the same amount of time. How do we organize ourselves and use our time in the way that can have the greatest impact and return for the organizations for which we serve? And so, you know, we have to make the hard choice of whom we are going to uh, delegate our energy and gift of time to in order to bring a return on that investment of time. So, you know, the, these people of greater wealth, uh, you know, inevitably for the inter, interpersonal dimensions of our work, we end up spending time on. But, you know, when it all comes down to it, right, and we, you know, and uh, we're just fellow human beings. Mm-hmm. And we as fundraisers, if we think one is more important than the other, I think we're making a grave mistake and misjudgment. And so the allocation of time is one thing, but how we perceive people, I mean, that's got to be fundamentally, we respect everyone. And if we could, if we could know every single person on this planet and discover how wondrous they are, that would be the, we would be the richest people on earth. That is what's called priceless. So let's not underestimate. You know, I grew up, my mother was a homemaker. My father was a janitor. And I'll tell you what, Paul, you know what? They're both eighth grade educated, although my mother, when she was 65, got uh, a high school equivalency degree here in the United States. But my father was a custodian. And you know what? I could never be have had the success I've had if it wasn't for my mother and father as uneducated you know, in, uh, academically, you might say, as they were, because they were profound people. They were powerful people. And uh, I, I, how could I think less of the janitor that, you know, works in the buildings I've worked in? Couldn't, couldn't. So, you know, I don't want to belabor this, but <laughs> life is all about relationships, and so is fundraising. It's what we do with what we've got. We're we're given uh, the gift of relationships, the potentiality of building relationships, both professionally and personally. You know, that's the sweetest part of life from my point of view is getting to know people, to to benefit from their knowledge, from their experiences, uh, the exchange of being uh, uh, appreciative and being appreciated. I mean, that's... I'll tell you what, that's what it's all about for me. Very powerful and humble way, Martin, to bring uh, proceedings to an end. And I think to, to really sum up very concisely the how to raise over $500 million. So thank you very much for that. Thank you very much indeed. How can listeners reach out to you? What's your contact details? So um, I can be reached at martin <clears throat> at martinleifeld.com. Uh, and uh, I would welcome, you know, contacts, comments, also through LinkedIn. Um, that's another place where people will message me, uh, Facebook too. But uh, LinkedIn and my website directly, I think, is the best way to reach me. Uh, folks are interested in looking at the book. I know we didn't really talk hardly a minute about it, but Five Minutes for Fundraising, I might say one word about it. The best thing about this book is not just that – I. You know, it's just my opinions and observations in fundraising, but there's 26 others that serve as collaborators on the book that, I mean, just uh, it's almost, uh, it multiplies the value of the book. 
and you know you can get that through Amazon and download it through Amazon. But I'd love to hear from people, certainly. And Paul, I would be honored to um, you know get on a call with you again um, to talk about more. Superb. So those contact details will be in the show notes, um, including the the link to to Martin's book, Five Minutes for Fundraising. And uh, just to clarify, Martin is spelt with an I and his surname is L-E-I-F-E-L-D. And um, what I want to do, Martin, is actually you mentioned um, two interesting words at the top of the uh, conversation there, morning rituals. I want to invite you back on another completely different thread where we can talk about that, where we can talk about leadership, because I think what we've done thus far, Martin, in, in part one and part two, we've talked about we've talked about that necessary foundation of relationships, compassion, love, all that, those vital ingredients. And I want to build on that and tap into your wisdom and tap into your experience for the benefit of the listener. So all that re- remains for me now, Martin, is to say with immense gratitude, thank you so much. And also to our listeners to say, remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks very much for listening to this Mastering the Game of Life podcast episode. If you found it interesting and helpful, drop a line to Paul via paul at paul-low.com with any thoughts or questions you may have. He'd love to hear from you and he'd be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at www.paul-low.com. Remember, mastering the game of life starts by embracing our hearts.